Please keep your hymnals out as we look at Lord's Day 36 of the Heidelberg Catechism tonight, page 890 in the back of your hymnals, and also turning to Exodus chapter 20, familiar words to us concerning God's third commandment. Tonight we consider that commandment, which is part of the first table of the law, and how we are to relate to the Lord our God, how we are to Use his name. The Lord says in Exodus 20, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then we see in question and answer 99 and 100 what that means. What is God's will for us in the third commandment? that we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in everything we do and say. Question 100 is, blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. Beloved in Lord Jesus Christ, this commandment may seem a bit out of place when we think that God summarizes his moral law with ten commandments and we think, now, is this one really so serious? The command to, we like to say, watch your mouth? Watch what you say? Is that really so significant in this table? All we need to understand is this commandment is about more than our language, watching our mouths. It is a command to represent God rightly, with reverence and awe. To do so faithfully, to use his name, is to speak of the name which stands for who he is. When Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory, God spoke to him, And said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Well, the way we see God's glory set before us is by hearing his name. We saw that last week. God wants his word proclaimed, he wants worship to to be centered around the word preached. We must not misuse his name. It doesn't mean we can't pronounce his name, which some of those in the past have have come to conclude from this commandment. The Jews saying that, that this commandment taught that God's name may not be pronounced. No, it says here, God's will for us in the third commandment, the catechism helps us here. It says this, that we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. We are to be those who are witnesses to God's being, his person, to speak only truth about him and to stand 
for a true representation for him. We ought not to be silent bystanders. God doesn't uh, uh, prohibit us from using his name. His name appears thousands of times in the Old Testament. But what we're forbidden to do is to misrepresent him, to blaspheme his name. One place that we learn about the sacredness of God's name is in Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24 speaks of uh, all that God wanted to be protected, to be set rightly before the people as they worshipped. What was it that God wanted the people to remember? There were three items there in Leviticus 24. There God is reminding his people of the sacred, the sacredness of certain items that he had given, certain elements that he had given to them, three items. The first two were the lamp and the showbread. In the old covenant, God gave types and shadows that pointed forward to the reality to come. The tabernacle itself pointed forward to this truth that God was going to tabernacle to dwell with his people. And in that tabernacle, there were sacred objects, objects which needed to be handled with care and could not be treated as if ordinary. One such item was the lamp. There in the opening verses of Leviticus 24, it speaks of the lamp that was to be uh, regularly tended to, that it was to be uh, lit and to be burning continually. It's mentioned three times to, that it was to be tended to that it would burn continually, continually, continually. And that pointing forward to the fact that God was Israel's everlasting light, that he did not slumber or sleep, that there was no darkness in him, that he was one who would go before them and show the way. It had a, a strong symbolism attached to it that was to point the people to where they must look to be led. Bread was also there. It, was a, it too was a sacred symbol. It was to be replaced weekly. Twelve loaves for the twelve tribes to show that God provided sufficiently for his people, that he remembered his covenant, that he would provide for them through their earthly sojourn, that he would continually keep his covenant promise not to forget his people. Well, in the coming of the Son of God, we see the Fulfillment of these two items. The Lord Jesus Christ called himself the light of the world. He was the one who pointed people in the way of life. The one who showed God to his people into the world. He was the bread of life, he says in John chapter 6. As light, he shines in the darkness. He shines into the darkness and calls us to consider our sin and deceit and He leads us in that way everlasting into the life-giving light of God. As bread, he nourishes our famished spirits. He nourishes our souls, satisfying our deepest hunger. Hunger that other food can never, that food cannot touch. Though these symbols reach their fulfillment in Christ, they have implications for us as his disciples to the world. Jesus gave his disciples, the call to be a light among the nations, to be a light in the world. 
that others would see them and glorify God who was in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We're never called to be bread for the world. The command Jesus gives to his disciples is that we are to give the world something to eat, which the earth cannot provide. When, when Jesus, when the, when the nations were coming, when the people were coming to him and they, they saw that there was going to be a shortage of food, they said to, to Jesus, we need to send the people away that they might find bread to eat. And Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. We could understand there in those words that Jesus was saying, you can speak to them food, or you can speak to them a message that will satisfy in a way that that bread never will. To be sure, there is a need to feed our physical being, but Jesus was getting them to think of something deeper. Well, in order for us to, in order for us to give food to the world and to be light to the world, we must regularly be trimming our lamps, as is laid out here in Leviticus 24, feeding upon Christ. This is that daily, that regular daily activity of feeding upon the Word of God to be led to understand what God is saying to us, that we would walk in the light of life, even the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would give to others that word of life, even the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the third item that we see in Leviticus 24 is the name of the Lord, that which is to be considered sacred, to be Set apart, it was the name of the Lord. The people were to uphold the name of the Lord, to speak of the Lord using His name faithfully, truthfully. The name represented God, therefore it could not be connected to sin. He must not be misrepresented. The people who represent the Lord must live in a way that brings honor and glory to Him, showing that He matters, that He leads and guides The Lord even sets out there a judgment upon those who would not use the name of the Lord properly. And this is where uh, the Jews would get this notion that we cannot even pronounce the name of the Lord lest we perish. He said through Moses, whoever misuses the name of the Lord must be put to death. Well, this was a civil law for the nation of Israel. We understand that. Parallel for us today would be church discipline. If someone is blaspheming, if someone is profaning the name of the Lord, if someone is living unfaithfully, there is a call to correct them, to bring discipline. If they are misrepresenting the Lord or attaching him to something which dishonors the Lord. For you see, the name of the Lord stands for him in his character and his work. We take the name of the Lord upon our lips and then live in sin, unrepentant, thinking that it doesn't matter, even trying to justify our sin and say, well, the Lord forgives, then we are misrepresenting His holiness. We don't want to live in lies which deserve death. We must confess this sin every day, that we at times, each day, live in a way that connects God to sin and dishonors Him. Therefore, we see in this command a call to look to the one who never did that. The Son alone perfectly represented the Father, represented God, for He was and is eternal God. He says it throughout the Gospel of John, where John sets before the people that Jesus was 
God in the flesh. In this commandment, the catechism lays out what it means when it says we're not to blaspheme or misuse the name of God. He says, it says here, by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths. We hear so much, so many examples today of cursing, and we recognize that God's name has become very common, very, it's been profaned, and we think very little of it today. In fact, we're not as sensitized to that as we should be to the misuse of God's name. Yet the Lord warns that he takes his name seriously. We cannot tie him to a curse. We could look at the example of of Balaam as he was called by Balak to come and to curse the nation of Israel and he said on more than uh, one in more than one instance I cannot go beyond the command of the Lord I cannot do less or more than the Lord has given me to speak or to say Balak tried to woo him with money with prestige today we have the world's temptations to pull us away from commitment to God and to properly represent him we must not do so. We must not bring shame to his name in the way that we live. Further, we must not tie him to a lie. We must not attach his name to a lie. You can see that in the New Testament. If you look in Acts chapter 5, where Ananias and Sapphira were, had, had purchased a piece of land and they had gotten a certain sum of money and they held back a certain bit of that and they came to Peter and they said, this is, this is all that we received. And Peter declared to them that they had gravely sinned by saying, by speaking a lie, and they were struck down because of it. We are not to attach his name to a promise which he has not entered into. We will not be bound by sinful oaths that we take in his name. Here we need to be repenting of breaking the third commandment. As well, when we hear that we are not to be silent bystanders when others do this. How challenging it is, and I speak that personally, how challenging it is to speak up when God's name is being cursed or blasphemed or misrepresented. We are so concerned about how others view us even more so than how we are standing for God's name, that it would be used properly. But here we're warned in this third commandment to speak up, to speak faithfully. One of the greatest sins against this commandment is declaring that God approves of the sins that we engage in. Warning upon warning is given in Scripture about the sins that God forbids, and we're told that Impenitent sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God. To declare that God approves of sin, which he clearly forbids in his word, is to sin against the testimony of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit testifies to its truth in our hearts, we must yield to that. We must listen to that. We must humble ourselves to that word and not reject the clear teaching of God as to how we are to live. Paul says in Galatians, God is not mocked. If one lives a sinful life without repentance, with no desire to bring honor and glory to God, that person will reap 
what they have sown. God will judge those who tie his name to sin, and to teach otherwise would be to misrepresent him. Further, God is dishonored. He's dishonored when we come near to his house and take his name upon our lips, and we are not fully engaged in this. This brings it very close to home. How do we enter into worship? Are we coming near? This looks much more innocent than what we've just spoken of, but it is no less forbidden in this commandment. The Lord said to his people through the prophet Isaiah, stop offering meaningless sacrifices when you come into my presence, going through the motions but giving no thought to what it is you are binding yourself to. The word for meaningless in that passage in Isaiah 1.13 is the same word as we see in Exodus 20. Shall not use the name of the Lord your God, take the name of the Lord your God in vain, taking it thoughtlessly. Do not merely go through the motions is what we're warned against when we come into worship. We are to worship with our whole heart. Writer of Ecclesiastes warns this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. That means, dear people of God, young and older, that we come and we listen to the word. We come as those well-rested. We come as those who are giving our attention to the word and talking about it when we go home, making that a focal point of our day. The word convicts us. It ought to convict us. The law of God reveals sin. And we need to recognize that we need God's grace as much as anyone. God must forgive our many sins where we break this commandment, doing what is prohibited. Well, then secondly, what is promoted in this commandment? We see also what is pleasing to God. It tells us how we are to live in true happiness and true holiness. The second part of answer 99, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe. So that, with the purpose that we may properly confess Him, that we might properly call upon Him, that we might properly praise Him in everything that we do and say. The third commandment, we're taught how holy God's name is, and in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to honor that holiness. This really, really connects with that first petition of the Lord's Prayer. You can see that in question and answer 122. Further in the Catechism, what does that first petition mean? Hallowed be your name. Notice what is being said there, how we are to hallow his name, to, to treat it as holy. What does the first petition mean? It means help us to truly know you, to understand the Lord's holiness, to understand the Lord's goodness, his love and his mercy. Help us to honor and glorify and praise you for all your works, for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored 
and praised. That's what we do right here. We come to know Him truly, to hear Him speak to us. We give our best attention, for this is ultimately the one whom we will face. Who is this God before whom we go? Who is this God who is both just and merciful, who is both holy and gracious? How does he welcome us into his presence? How then can we live our lives? In what way can we show our gratitude for the grace and the mercy that he has shown to us? In these ways, speaking, testifying to his goodness, not remaining silent, means declaring that in all of our living, he matters more to us than anything else. He is glorious. That is, he has weight. He's significant in our lives. As the hymn we sing on Psalm 8 says, Lord, our Lord, thy glorious name, all thy wondrous works proclaim. How great thy name. Thine the name of matchless worth. Excellent in all the earth. How great thy name. It represents God. God is the one before whom we live and the one whom we are to praise. Obedience to this commandment means teaching others about who He is. Part of our lives as Christians, a big part of our lives is that of evangelism and discipleship, telling others about Him. As has been said many times, uh, the quote given, missions exists because worship does not. Evangelism exists because worship does not. People do not worship God. They do not know Him and His His commands. They suppress that truth and they need to hear that truth. One way that we keep this command, honoring His name, is by bringing His name, bringing His person before the nations, that they would learn of His power and His wisdom, His kindness, His justice, His mercy and truth. We want to help the nations. We want to help people understand where true life is to be found when they are caught in their misery, when they are caught in their shame. To look to God who is gracious and merciful. When we teach our children about who He is according to His Word, when we tell others about what He has done, we're honoring this commandment. Not only that we do not curse, but that we proactively tell of all His glory. That we proclaim His salvation day unto day. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 96. We, we worship and then we also go out. We worship this God, singing His praises, and then we go out to proclaim His glory to the nations. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. The psalmist says we will not keep this from our children, from from our children for the next generation, but we will tell of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. That's what he commands all people to do. All of us are to humble ourselves before him. For the world is directed by him, by his hand. He causes the rising and the falling of nations. He raises up rulers and brings rulers down. I was thinking about that this week as we examine our lives throughout the week. Where do we focus our attention? Where do we put our energy? Where do we think 
action is really happening? Well, we think it's happening uh, here below. We, we watch the news oftentimes to, to try to keep up with all that's going on in the world. And oftentimes we do so because we think, well, we need to know what's going on so we, so we, so we know what we can do. And, and in our truest and most honest moments, we have to recognize that there is not a lot that we can do about world affairs. We pray and we seek to remember God is the one who raises up and God is the one who brings down, but we can and we should work in our sphere of influence where the Lord has placed us, faithfully interacting with what we see on the news and on television with our children that they might know the truth, with our spouse, with our friends, that we might recognize God's glorious sovereignty. That's one those things that we learn about God and His names, the Lord of hosts. We may watch the news profitably if we are doing so to know how to pray for the world. We may use media properly when we are looking about for places where we can see God at work. But if we are doing it only that we would become anxious and that we would want to base our hope in some person or organization, then we have lost our focus upon God and upon His glorious name. We need to remember His greatness so that we may properly confess Him, that we might properly call upon Him, that we might properly praise Him in everything we do and say. Parents, if you're looking for a book for smaller children, there's a very good book by Sally Michael called God's Names. It's very short, and it's just a daily devotional on all the different names. God, the Lord of hosts, God, our help, God, our healer, God, our banner. And it, and it goes through all of these names, and it, it just helps us to teach our children about who God is. I would recommend it to you for short devotionals, maybe before bed, as children are often thinking of other things, and they need to go to bed with the confidence and with the peace of knowing the one true God. Well, the Lord's Day here also sets before us the seriousness of this sin. Does God care that we take His name seriously? Yes. So seriously that He commanded the sin of blasphemy to be punished with death. That was the civil law in Israel, as I've already said. But God declares that he who does not take my name upon his lips, he who does not glory in the name of Jesus Christ, will face judgment. That's what Peter announces. He says, the name of Jesus. That is the one, the name that we must proclaim. For salvation comes in no other name. God reveals himself in His Son, Jesus, the Lord saves. He is the one to whom we must look. That was Peter's bold witness in a setting where there was much blasphemy, where there was much false representation of God. He said this, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must remember to proclaim Him rightly, and to be connected to Him by faith. God does not deliver those who despise His name. The profaning of His name, to make it common, 
is why is, is how it becomes so dishonored. It becomes just another word. I hear people speak, and I, I wonder how they could put a sentence together without using God's name and doing so blasphemously. Well, that sin, not only how we use his name, but when we fail to stand up, when it's being used falsely, leaves us aware of a need to be forgiven of our sin. The Son of God came to bear the curse that we deserved. He was seen as the great, greatest of blasphemers, greatest misuser of God's name, and God poured out all of His wrath upon Him that we might use His name in love. That as we proclaim the name of Christ, we do so acknowledging that God has provided a perfect Savior in Him. He is the one that we ought to delight in. For He has bore the punishment that we deserve for our dishonoring of God. In His death is our deliverance. In His life is our life. We use God's name then with reverence and awe and proclaim all of His praiseworthy deeds not the least of which is His redemption in Christ for us. As we go forth in this week, we are to remember that we witness to Him, that we use His name. We don't hold it in. We are to do so with honor, to do so faithfully, pointing people to Him for salvation. Let's ask God to help us do that. Let's turn to Him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege to be able to use that title of you, Father. Heavenly Father, you who are over all, above the heavens, seeing all, choosing in your wisdom to use broken vessels like us to witness to your perfections. Oh Lord, we fail so Miserably, forgive our many sins in this regard. Forgive us when we remain silent, when we should speak. Forgive us for not instructing our children and one another when we ought to. Lord, may we never apologize for bringing the word to bear in our lives. May your spirit lead us, convict us of that truth, that Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. That in the Word of God there is comfort. There is strengthening. Lord, grant us perseverance, for we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And those to whom we speak are blinded by their sinful hearts and by the deceptions of our great enemy. It is only as we use your Word and your Spirit accompanies that Word that they can be brought from death to life. It is only as we study your word that we too can live a healthy spiritual life. May we not take this lightly. And may we delight that we have your word and that we know your name, Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, by the testimony of your Spirit. Receive our thanks and our praise and hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen.